Dan, so glad we were able to meet today. Thanks for coming over. Whoa, what's that? Pretty awesome, right? It's my new FlexiSpot E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Goes from sitting to standing with the push of a button. You know, I've been thinking about getting a desk like that. I have back pain from being in a chair all day, but I feel like they're either cheap and flimsy or crazy expensive. That's why I went with FlexiSpot. This desk is super sturdy, but totally affordable. The base is made of automotive grade carbon steel. Sit on it. Okay. Hey, this is cool. All right, I want in on one of these. Where do I find FlexiSpot? Just go to their website, FlexiSpot.com. And go right now because they're giving an extra $80 off their already low prices. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF to get an extra $80 off the E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Backed by an industry-leading 15-year warranty. Don't wait. This special offer will not last long. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Go to FlexiSpot.com now. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the History of Skipton series. My name is Ian Lockwood, author of the book The History of Skipton, on which the series is based. The last two episodes looked at the chequered story of Skipton's Boys' Grammar School, Hermistead's, which was founded in 1492, which incidentally is the same year as Christopher Columbus discovered America. Before I'm accused of sexism, this episode will look at Skipton's Girls' Grammar School, which today has a reputation the equal of its boy counterpart, but has a lot shorter history. The fact is that for centuries, as the boys of Skipton were taught Latin, Greek and scripture, it was not considered appropriate to educate girls in the same way. However, as the 19th century wore on, more enlightened minds turned towards providing girls with similar educational possibilities to the boys. The Petit Trust, which had been set up by Sylvester Petit in 1718, had sufficient funds to enable its trustees to investigate the viability of a girls' school in Skipton to mirror the provision for boys. And just a reminder here, we're talking about the provision of secondary education for boys and girls in this episode. So the first recorded meeting of the trustees to look at a girls' school was in May 1882, attended by such worthies as the textile magnates J.B. Dewhurst and Richard Sedgwick, the latter of whom was also chairman of the Skipton Board of Health. It was reported that a canvas about a girls' school had come up with 67 promises from parents of paying fees for sending a daughter to an establishment, should one be set up. If the Trust were to provide 12 further places on scholarships, there would be a deficit of £247. Even so, the Trust decided to explore making an exceptional grant from its funds, and the trustees thought they had an ideal building, the Old Boys Grammar School at the end of Newmarket Street. This had been sold four years previously, to Dr. McNabb, 
who had since died, but his heirs had agreed that they would be willing to allow it to revert to school use. Although Mr. Dewhurst felt it was too small for the 70 or 80 girls envisaged. However, the plan for a girls' grammar school was not without its opponents. It was discussed at the local Board of Health meeting in December 1883, with Mr Sidgwick in the chair, but George Kendall described the plan as abominable. Now, the board was involved because the Charity Commission, based in London, had agreed for Petit Trust funds to be used for a girls' school, but recommended that the local board should have two representatives on the governing body. Mr Kendall's objection was that the school proposed to charge at least £4 per annum in fees, which took it out of the reach of the poor. And it was the poor who were supposed to benefit from the Petit Trust. He said, Poor people cannot afford to pay, and therefore this is a school which will be used by a class of people who are well able to afford the education of their own children. So, Kendall's objection was not that girls were unworthy of education, but that the education proposed would be exclusively for the affluent and using funds designated for the poor. He was by no means on his own for a letter signed by James Fortune, Henry Cartman and others appeared in the Craven Herald of February 2nd, 1884, making the same point. The letter reads... We cannot afford to send our children to such a school as is proposed to be established, and we considered it anything but fair and reasonable that the poor classes should not participate in the benefits of this charity originally intended for the poor. And the Herald's own columnist, titled Snapshot, who was a member of the Volunteers, the forerunners of the Territorial Army, and proffered weekly reflections on the army, politics and occasionally local events, he chipped in just a few weeks before the school opened. He commented, I should like to know how many working class men in Skipton with large families will be able to avail themselves of this middle class school. Not many, I fancy. I hate class distinction in anything, but when it comes to a class who are supposed to be able to pay for their own children's education, digging deep into a fund left for the poor and needy, then I call it almost disgraceful and a shameful abuse of charity. Notwithstanding the protestations that it was, from the very start, a school for the middle classes funded by a charity for the poor, the scheme went ahead with an annual income from a Petit Trust endowment. The necessary paperwork was completed on April the 3rd, 1886, and the governors wasted no time for a for a school opened on September the 14th, albeit in temporary premises in the Temperance Hall on Sackville Street, now the Plaza Cinema. There were 40 pupils, and the first headmistress was Felicia Lana, who had a tenuous link with Skipton. She had been one of the first three students at Newnham College, the Cambridge College for Women Only which had been set up by Henry Sedgwick, who had been born in Skipton. 
and was the son of William Sedgwick, the Herbistead's headmaster. And of course, another Sidgwick, Richard, had been one of the Pettit trustees, and he also was a governor of the school. At Newnham College, she had been taught by Henry Sidgwick, and perhaps she knew of her mentor's links to the town when she applied for the new post. Notwithstanding this heavy involvement of the Sedgwicks in the formation of the school, Miss Lana took up her post with three teachers, her sister and two young women who had just passed their teaching certificate, Claudia Prido and Marion Tucker. All four women were spinsters. When the school celebrated its 50th anniversary, a special booklet was produced and Miss Tucker, the teacher, contributed an article describing those early days at Skipton's Girls Grammar School. She wrote, and be warned, there is use of the N-word in her memoir. The conditions for the first three years' existence were arduous in the extreme. Classes took place in the corners of a large hall, where little groups of 15 or 20 girls were grouped round a movable blackboard and easel. But the door from the road opened directly into the hall, and when one was giving a thrilling account of St Augustine's arrival in England, or the Battle of Agincourt, or perhaps reading a poem, this door would suddenly be opened, and a nigger minstrel or other incongruous figure would appear to know if he wanted to buy tickets for the evening's entertainment. It was so queer and different from anything I had ever known. Miss Tucker noted her love of the countryside walks with her colleagues and pupils, but hated the cattle market, as she was afraid of cows, and found shopping or running errands on market days an ordeal. The stay in Skipton Temperance Hall was always meant to be short-term, and at a cost of £1,750, land was bought from, ironically, the boys' school, as the site of a new school for the girls. The land and building were to cost £7,000, way above the school's means, and it was only by dint of the Pettit trustees using £5,000 of their capital as a grant to the school governors that the work went ahead. Once again, a charity for the poor is funding a school for the middle class. This new school on Gargrave Road was able to accommodate 100 pupils and 20 boarders and was opened in May 1889 with four teachers in addition to Miss Lala the head. Miss Tucker remembers teething problems at the new school. There were no railings on stairs. Fires were lit despite the heat to dry out wet plaster and there were no blinds or curtains in the building. However, from then on, the story of the school was one of gradual expansion until today, when the school has 810 pupils on roll and feels positively cramped in what were once spacious grounds. Two years after it opened on Gargrave Road, its first pupil was following in the footsteps of Miss Lana to Newnham College, and property had also been acquired in West Bank Road opposite the school. A cottage housing a sick room was added, and in 1896 a new wing was completed, with three classrooms and a cloakroom. The Charity Commission's report of 1897 
put the school numbers at 125. 23 of them were boarders. More than half of these boarders were from the immediate neighbourhood, and the rest came from the south of England, apart from one who was from Scotland. Most of the day girls were from the town, but about 40 came in by train every day. They were, according to the headmistress, from all grades of the middle class. This was a fee-paying school. £4 per year for day girls under 14, £6 for day girls over 14, and boarders paid £36 and £39 with the same age difference. There were a total of 16 scholarships for day pupils who paid half the fees. Now, the account books also show that the post of headmistress was well worth having financially. Miss Lana was paid £100 salary, but also a capitation fee for each pupil. And as the school rapidly expanded, this became more and more lucrative. In 1893, Miss Lana's £100 salary had a supplement of £325 for the capitation. We know this from a Charity Commission report ordered by the government to run a fine-tooth comb over the status of all charities in the country. And Skipton Girls High and Ermysteads came under the scope of this report due to their endowments and grants from various trusts. So, as stated, Miss Lana was receiving £425 in salary and capitation fees. By comparison, the same report puts the headmaster of Ermysteads receiving a salary of £150 plus £295 in capitation fees, a total of £445. However, while the Ermysteads governors kept the school fees, Miss Lana ran the boarding side for her own profit, paying the governors £2 per term for every boarder above the number of eight. In 1893, the date of the report, a total of just over £779 was taken in boarding fees, with Miss Lana giving to the school £86 as its share and repaying £24 in interest on the cost of furnishing the boarding rooms, leaving her with £680 profit and a total income of £1,105 for the year. Now, she would have had costs such as food and heating for the boarders, although the account suggests that the coal and gas paid out in general expenses was the whole building, not just the school part of it. It's always dangerous to compute historic currency values into modern-day equivalents, but the Bank of England's inflation calculator equates Miss Lana's income to £145,000 in 2020. However, purchasing powers have much changed. For example, you'll be lucky to find a house priced at £145,000 in Skipton in 2020. But in 1890, Miss Lana's income would have purchased around 30 houses in the town.
And if you want to compare other people's salaries, the Herald of 1893, the same year that revealed Miss Lana's income, the Herald reported that the sanitary inspector for the district of Craven was receiving an annual salary of £180. The town surveyor, £170. And the superintendent of police, £250. In those early days, the school also had a kindergarten. Joyce Murgatroyd, writing in the school's Jubilee book mentioned previously, said she spent 13 years at the school and remembers the tiny children in the kindergarten. And the charity commissioner's report stated, the usual age at which girls enter the school is 11, but in the kindergarten department, children, boys and girls, attend from five years of age. It is not uncommon for girls to remain at the school from the age of five until the age of 19. The very first Old Girls Guild magazine, published in November 1918, remarked, Twelve or fourteen little lads are always to be found in our school. We watch their careers with much interest and for just cause have pride in them, for so many of our little boys have grown into unusually fine young men. Six of these little boys were then named as having been killed in World War I. Miss Lana retired in 1906. She retired to Harrow in London and died aged 80 in 1932. And the school's first boarder, Jessie Broadbent, took her place. Apart from her teacher training, Jessie Broadbent's entire life from school to retirement was connected with the school. And it seems that the governors took the opportunity to end the lucrative boarders' fees perk that Miss Lana had enjoyed. Just as had happened to the headmaster of the boys' school, the governors realised they'd been too generous. But even with this extra income, the governors could not keep pace with costs. And in 1911, the school was handed over to county council control in return for grant aid. During World War I, the school windows were blackened and vegetables were grown in the ground, while concerns were raised at the proximity of the German prisoner of war camp not far behind the school. After the war, there was an unexplained spurt in the number of pupils at Skipton Girls High. It went from 118 in 1918 to 330 in just a few years. To cope with the sudden addition of numbers, two army huts were bought and installed on the ash courts, presumably the tennis courts, and converted to provide four classrooms, one dedicated to cookery. That Old Girls Guild original magazine reported, The army huts have proved a great boon. Though from the exterior ugly, they are comfortable and bright inside, with white walls, green doors and window frames, and green linoleum on the floor. We have found them warm and dry in winter, airy in summer. Alas, these new huts lasted only a few months before they were burnt to the ground, a matter of great excitement at the time. Indeed, Miss Broadbent, in a letter to the paper, announced that it was lucky that the whole school had not been burnt down because the chief fire brigade officer 
W. Aldridge, lived close by, and he managed to raise the alarm quickly enough to prevent it spreading from the hutch to the main building. It was decided to replace the old army huts with more lasting buildings. A bazaar raised a thousand pounds, and the new extension included a new hall. The old one was converted into two classrooms, while stables at West Bank House were converted to house the domestic science room which had been in the huts. The first speech day at the girls' school was on June 17, 1924, and marked the opening of this new school hall. Miss Broadbent announced that the school now had 330 pupils, 75 of them boarders. She also revealed the destinations of the present senior year. One went to Oxford, three to Leeds University, eight or nine to teacher training colleges, three to physical training colleges, two to a Manchester school for dancing, and one was training to be an optician. Miss Broadbent left in December 1931, and her successor was the head of maths at Wickham Abbey School, Enid Wise. She wrote in the Jubilee booklet that when she first came to Skipton to look at the school, she couldn't find it. And she also recollected that she spent the night before her first day in charge at a hotel in Skipton, where she asked for a jug of lemonade, which was served in a receptacle labelled Teacher's Whiskey. Craven Herald revealed her salary. It said she was starting on £650 per year, which would rise by £15 each year to a maximum of £770. So she was still way, some way behind Miss Lana. And in 1934, memorial gates were opened at the school in honour of Miss Lana. A photograph in the local press shows them to have been high, ornate metalwork and reports state they were made in Devon and modelled on the gates at Harrow School. The school crest and motto was flanked by Lana's initials. The gates have disappeared, probably dismantled and melted down for the war effort. One common complaint in these years of gradual expansion was overcrowding. At the school speech day in 1939, Miss Wise announced that the premises were so cramped and inadequate that the school was no longer taking any girls from Barnalls or Kenyabie who gained scholarships to a grammar school. Instead, they would have to travel to Colm. At the time, the school had 386 on its roll, including 51 boarders. At the same time, Ermistead's had 600 pupils. This lack of space threatened the status of the school under the terms of the 1946 Education Act. It was revealed that the Act would create aided and controlled schools. If the school wished to maintain a degree of independence but receive financial support from the County Council as an aided school, it would have to bring its buildings up to the required standard, and thus an appeal for £30,000 was launched. Although this was to prove ultimately successful, and the school did expand, this overcrowding 
was a theme to recur constantly in the school's post-war history. In 1953, inspectors criticised the buildings, pointing out that no major improvements had been made for some years, but the school was not to take this meekly. Canon Arthur Sefton, chairman of Governors, insisted it was not through want of trying. He said, A new school building will come out of public funds, and however much they have tried, the Governors have been unable to persuade the powers that be to provide us with a new school. He was not to be the last governor calling for a new, bigger site for the girls' high. Sefton was also critical of comments made by the inspectors about the state of the girls' dormitories, because they had visited them at 9am. He said they seemed to expect school boarding houses to be in the same state as the Savoy Hotel at that time of day. The governors pointedly passed a resolution noting, with deep appreciation, the magnificent work done by the headmistress and her staff in very difficult circumstances. Even in the 21st century, John Goodfellow, then the chairman of governors, warned that the school had to move to secure its future. When I was editor of the Craven Herald, Mr Goodfellow told me, off the record, that the school had its eye on land at the end of Harrogate Road, near the bypass. As I speak, the bulldozers are turning that land into a new housing estate. The school remains where it has been for more than a century, squeezing ever more pupils into its Gargrave Road site. Miss Wise retired in Easter. 1955, to be succeeded by the new head, Olive Harris, who came from Leicester. Wise left Skipton to live in Devon, where she enjoyed a long and happy retirement, returning every year for the Skipton Girls High Guild reunions, until she became too frail. She died in 1990. Olive Harris was to leave the school until her retirement in 1971 her replacement being Muriel Kent, who moved from deputy headship of Airborough Girls Grammar School in Yeadon. These years saw the school slowly but constantly expanding in size and consolidating its already fine reputation. The current school hall was opened in 1961 by Donald Coggan, the Bishop of Bradford, in his last official engagement before taking up the role of Archbishop of York. The former school hall became a domestic science department, and in 1972, West Bank House, which had been empty for 18 months and was earmarked for sale, was turned back into educational use, and it became the sixth form centre. One famous recent former pupil, was Ruxana Bashir, the first Muslim president of the Oxford Union, although it was not without controversy when she was found guilty by a tribunal of breaking rules of canvassing votes on the day of the election. However, she gathered widespread sympathy with criticism of an arcane election system, which was changed soon after this, the affair. The Mail on Sunday described her treatment as 
One of the dirtiest political scraps the hallowed quadrangles of Oxford University has ever witnessed. Today, Skipton Girls High is a high-performing school and part of the Northern Star Academy. It's also a selective school. In other words, you only get in by passing a test where a girl's chances are boosted by paying a small fortune for specialist training. So I would say it started as a school for the middle class and it remains so today. Before I finish, I'd like to talk about one girl's school which has disappeared from Skipton. This is St Monica's. St Monica's was attached to St Stephen's Roman Catholic School and was a private boarding school for girls. Unlike the girls' high school, it never went down the route of accepting grant aid from the local education authority. St Monica's was named after Monica Tempest, who poured in much of the funding to found the school, and it operated for more than 100 years, from 1866 to 1969. Its speech day in 1949 set out its aim to train girls to think, judge and act in accordance with the standards set by Christ. It was a successful venture, at least at first, as the school was expanded in 1874, 1876 and 1917. By its peak in the 1930s, it had around 200 students but it is noticeable how few links with the town were established. St Monica's girls kept themselves to themselves, and unlike the boys of Ermisteads and the girls of the Girls High, Skiptonians rarely spotted them on the streets. Many old Skiptonians remark how they were barely aware of its existence, despite its fairly central location. Run by nuns, and drawing most of its pupils from far and wide, St Monica's was in decline by the 1960s. By the time of its closure, numbers were down to 100, of which 30% were not Catholics. The nuns moved into accommodation down the hill from St Stephen's by Gargrave Road, and the buildings were left to the mercy of the elements for more than 40 years until a plan to turn the site into a housing development, with 70 flats for the elderly, was granted planning permission in 2013. Those flats are nearing completion as I speak. That brings to an end my look at the two grammar schools in Skipton, which cater for boys and girls from the age of 11 upwards. Next time, I'll be talking about primary schools. I hope you'll join me, and if you are enjoying this series, please let others know. Until next time, goodbye and thank you for listening. $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.